2: All right, welcome to another episode of the Backdoor Cut, the Grizzlies podcast on Nothing But channel of Dash Radio. Uh, I am Sam, the Chief. I'm joined with our man on the West Coast, Mason. You know him as Barnburner Slim, our resident Justin Holiday. Stan.
0: Mason, how are you? Hey, I'm doing well, man. My Memphis Tigers ended the regular season with a win uh, on the gridiron. Big win going to Montgomery Bowl against FAU. Um, nothing spectacular. Definitely not like it was the Cotton Bowl last year. But excited for that group and just what that program has become, man. Shout out to all the seniors who played their final game. Just putting in the work for the program that honestly brought us back from years of mediocrity. And uh, while we were in college, you know, we combined to win like 12 games over the four four falls we were there. So just just really nice to see what the program has grown into. Excited for them. Excited for my Tennessee Titans, as I see my, my man Sean is, too. A big win over the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, Always good to beat the Jags. I mean, ever since the Titans moved to Nashville, uh, it's been fun beating the Jags. And Derrick Henry, beast, over 200 yards, two touchdowns. I think that's like the fourth time he's done it in his career, Uh, the most in NFL history. Just a special talent to have in Nashville. And then A.J. Brown is a monster, too. Just two physical specimens. So Sam, I'm hyped up on football juices. We had the Grizzlies yesterday as well. Excited to talk about that. But uh, why don't you introduce our guest?
2: Yeah, we'd really like to welcome Sean Coleman onto the program. You can find him at Stats S A C on Twitter. He uh, is a self-tortured Tennessee sports slash Braves fantasy. Identifies in his Twitter bio. He writes for uh, sports. Uh, He writes for SBN Grizzlies, um, and he writes for Talking Chop as well, some Braves. And he also hosts Locked on Grizz, which I'm sure you remember your old friend Mark King hosting that prior to Sean taking over. Uh, So we welcome Sean to the program, Sean. Um, how are you besides being a, a total Nostradamus with predicting who the Grizzlies are going to draft? I mean, you wrote that article. I, I, I think you're working for the front office and you just like haven't come out and said it.
1: Yeah, well, if I was working for the front office, I'd, I'd, I'd be enjoying this. I'd have a little bit better camera going on here, but uh, but thank <laughs> you very much, guys. I, uh, I mean, it, It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's um that was, that was a fun article to write, but this is to me the peak of being a Grizz fan and also, you know, having gotten into blogging and podcasting, talking to great folks such as yourself ran across y'all, you know, over at the locker room app a, a few weeks ago, and that was just an absolute blast. So can't thank y'all enough for having me back, for having me on, you know, the actual podcast.
2: Sure, man. Well, happy to have you. We have a preseason basketball started in the midst of everything. We have empty stadiums, uh, even more empty than preseason would usually yield because of COVID, but we have basketball games are being played. Games started Thursday. The Grizzlies played their first game Friday. Uh, I mean, how are we feeling about this Grizzly squad based on one game of 48 minutes of action? Sean, what are some early thoughts?
1: Well, you know, when we heard, you know, we've heard Coach Sheehan's talk about in the media sessions and things such as that. You know, the big buzzwords are playmaking and versatility, and you know, really the you know individual improvement. And I think you saw some of that yesterday. You know, there certainly were you know some some you know sloppy moments, but that's you now that happens. They play nine games of basketball in a matter of eight months. Uh, but the things that really stood out to me was that. This team last year, one thing that they were elite at was passing the basketball. They were second in the league in assists. First game back, you've got 30 assists. You've got Jaw getting 11 of them. You've got seven Grizzlies who had two or more assists. So it's not just Jaw and Tyus, you know, who you had 15 assists from total, I believe, but it's the whole bench. You know, five guys off the bench had two two or more assists. So it's that playmaking from the entire roster. And that's, I think, what they did this offseason. They recommitted to the guys that they – thought progressed well last year, brought in some great talents, you know, through the draft. And so you've added versatility shooting and passing. So with Jaron and Justice out, it's really going to be on this depth to be deep. And, you know, they're going to have to create plays for each other since they don't have a lot of shot creation naturally. But I was really excited to see the playmaking, you know, setting
2: up different looks, high percentage looks, all over the basketball court. Yeah, we are talking about the Grizzlies. At the uh, at the Wolves, Uh, they play four preseason games, two at the Wolves, uh, kind of like a doubleheader with a day off in between and they come back home and play two against the Hawks. So we're talking about the first game at the Timberwolves. Uh, Most of starters played a lot of minutes, I thought. I thought we saw a lot of cat. We saw a lot of D'Angelo Russell, uh, Anthony Edwards, who I'm sure we'll talk about kind of just like was a slow car wreck happening uh, on before our eyes. Mm -hmm. But, uh, Mason, what would you see? What what do you feel about th- this uh, this performance? Let's overreact to 48 well, minutes. I mean,
0: do. first of all, holy jaw, Morant. Like, you couldn't ask for a better game than what he gave us. The first half, he had 18 and 6 on 7 of 8 shooting and ended it with the most beautiful workout three you could imagine, going full speed, crossover, stop on a dime, rises straight up, and nails the three-pointer. His jumper looked, you know, really good, especially in the first half. He was two for two and only had one turnover. Just, I mean, the way he was handling the pick and roll, he looked like a 10 year veteran. Like he was a maestro in the pick and roll, getting guys on his hips. Uh, His chemistry with JV looked to be a little improved. He was hitting them uh, on the rolls, it seemed better than, and granted, this is a preseason against Minnesota, who might just be really bad. Uh, But just, what we saw from Ja was everything you could have hoped to see in a preseason game. And Taylor Jenkins did say after the game that he expects his minutes to go up each game, uh, at least for the next two against the Wolves tomorrow night and then against Atlanta. And then he said, We'll see how they're going to treat the fourth game. Maybe Ja doesn't play. Maybe he treats it like a full uh, regular season game. We'll see. But just what Ja did was so fun, so exciting. And I mean, a lot of us have been saying that we don't expect a lot from this Grizzlies team, especially with ja, uh, uh, with Justice and Jaron out. But what we saw from Ja gives you a little hope. Like, hey, he might win us some games on his own. Yeah, we
2: saw a starting lineup, too. We weren't sure what was going to happen with the starters. So we saw Ja. We saw Grayson at the two. Dylan slid to the three, which is something we weren't surprised to see. Kyle at the four, which we had called on our last podcast, as kind of a, a preference from all four of us on the pod. And then JV at the five. Uh, what what did you think, uh, either of you? What did you think of the starters? Did you think that was kind of where we're going to go from now on, or is is uh, is the coach Jenkins going to be tweaking like Penny Hardaway out there throwing like six trillion permutations?
1: Well, just to me personally, I you know I think that the four you're going to see probably less back and forth than you do at the two. I think that between uh, Grayson Allen and uh, Des or D'Anthony Mount, Mel- D'Anthony is probably the more impactful player. But of course, Grayson's got the one thing that you want that Coach Jenkins you know wants, and that is shooting. And so it could be matchup you know depending on the matchup. I am an advocate for wanting to start Brandon Clark, and I know that the reason why they want to start Kyle Anderson was because of the facilitation, you know, with two shooters around job, which makes sense, and also his defensive presence, it makes sense, you know, his veteran presence, plus you keep Brandon, um, you know, Clark in that very advantageous six-man role where he just absolutely excels, he's one of the most beneficial elements to this Grizzlies roster out of that six-man role. But I would love to see him get the start at the four. I I think in the long run, you're probably going to see De'Anthony probably play the most minutes at the two. Uh, But I get why they're doing – I logically get why they're doing um, Grayson, but I really want to see these young guys get the best chance to take the next step. And I think De'Anthony and Brandon give you the highest ceiling. And I really want to see if Brandon struggles to start the year in the starting lineup, give him the chance to figure it out. So I get why they start, Kyle. I just really would love for them to give Brandon a few starts at least while Justice is out.
0: Yeah, and that's, that's a great way to look at it. Um, what Kyle showed and just the versatility, I, I don't think we're going to see Jenkins go away from starting Kyle just based on what we saw last year as well. So I'm just not even going to get my hopes up that Brandon might eventually start starting, that probably going to take some injuries. Um, but I would like to see if he can be a formidable starting, uh, you know, front court player in the NBA, and we're not going to know unless we try. So I do agree on, on that front. Uh, Grayson I called for him to be a starter and then he responded with the worst plus minus in the game I think he was a minus 18 and uh, if we're looking at players who played really bad you're gonna say Grayson and probably Dylan uh, maybe Tillman but I'll give him a pass since his first game and there was no summer league or anything but uh, I was kind of disappointed in what we got from the starting wings just Grayson and Dylan but what makes me feel good about that is while Dylan played a pretty bad game, he was 2 of 12 and uh, didn't really impact the game a lot, he didn't kill us. He wasn't taking bad shot after bad shot. He was still playing tough nose defense, getting into the paint, finding Valanchunas. He did that for the first bucket of the game, which I thought was a good sign and just <laughs> – Five assists five <laughs> yeah. assists from Dylan. Is that a career
2: high? I don't know. I, I don't know. Like, it might be. But he uh, found he
1: found a way to contribute while, while struggling to shoot. Him and Kyle kind of switched roles. Kyle had two threes and Dylan had five assists. It was great to see. And I think that Kyle has a bit more shooting ceiling with Taylor Jenkins than you may think. He came back last year. He admitted that he finally got to 100% around March. That's when Taylor Jenkins came up to him and told him, we need for you to shoot more. So what does he do? The five times last year he hit two or more threes in the game were from March on, including in the bubble. And now you see the first preseason games he hits two threes. So Dylan and Kyle kind of switching roles with who's shooting and who's passing. I'll be up for that all day.
2: I love Kyle at the four. It's something that we talked about on the pod was that, like, I think that's a better use of his skills as a great defender, a heady player. It's not going to kill us as much that he can't shoot because at the four, you're not necessarily required to to shoot as much in space the floor. You can kind of stand around in the dunker spot um, and, and hit that corner three, but you don't have to be as flexible as a three in the, in the modern NBA. And and uh, like you just brought up, Sean, I saw a tweet that said since March he's shot 42% from three on 2.5 attempts per game, which is above that well above average that's that's great and if he can hit that corner three two a game uh, I think that completely changes the complexion of the offense Grayson every time he gets a shot like this it's like he just really does not do well. And 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 then he has like, – once you bring him off the bench, maybe he just isn't ready for, like, the starting limelight or whatever. But, you know, when he comes off the bench in the bubble, kind of less stakes, I guess, in terms of the second unit that he's on. A lot of injuries, so he's just kind of trying to fit in where he can. He ends up having an incredible bubble experience, you know, hitting every three he would. Got really confident. We saw where that went. Uh, but, you know, the, this the beginning is not exactly what we want. So I don't
0: know if he sticks, uh, but we'll see. Yeah, well, I know you're probably saying that because you are itching to talk about Desmond Bain and his performance. So, Sam, as the leader of his fan club, how would you feel watching uh, watching him get in the game, get an immediate bucket uh, and then switch two threes?
2: The fire Rogers. No, I mean, like it's basically like I've been dusting off my Bain accent for the past eight years since that movie came off for just this occasion. But it's it's. He looks like uh, like we he thought he was right. I mean, he's 22 years old. He's ready to play right now. He's NBA ready body. He's like basically the same age as our starters. He doesn't do anything stupid, like at all. Um, he really. I, I think I was most impressed. Obviously, two of three from three. The jumper looks wet. We knew that. Um, I was most impressed with his uh, his ball handling. He initiated the offense on quite a few possessions where he was in. We ran out of lineup where it was like him and D'Anthony were the backcourt, and we know D'Anthony works better off ball, and Bain was initiating the offense. Um, he was working his way through pick and roll. He made a couple of nifty across uh, his body to weak side corner passes. Um, I was really impressed with that aspect of his game. He's not just a stand there and shoot guy, and that was in his scouting profile, so it's not surprising, but it was cool to see that we may have another guy on the wing that can do that. Um uh, Matt Herdica, who, who's on uh, Twitter, mentioned that he looks like Dylan in the way that his game translates. He has a really high dribble. Um, it's it's not He's not like a really good ball handler you wouldn't call him. Um, but I, I don't know. I was impressed. I, I really couldn't have asked more from him in his first NBA game. 22 minutes, um, just soaked up some minutes, played, I think, really well. What, what were y'all's opinion of Bain? Obviously, I'm looking through Bain-colored glasses.
1: Well, in my opinion, I think that the Dillon comparison, you know, is, you know, spot on in terms of the final numbers when you see them like per 36 minutes or, you know, per minute production or whatever it may be. But the one added caveat I think that's there with Bain is that you're going to get the consistency instead of the high low with that you get with Dylan, the final numbers may look the same similar, but you're going to get consistency. And I agree with you, Sam, uh, you know, in terms of his ball handling, I think the mindset's there to be a little bit better playmaker, the consistent playmaker. He knows how to use his body. I don't necessarily knows if he ever is going to turn into a significant shot creator himself with, you know, above average ball handling, but he knows how to use his size to create space. And I think that um, he kind of is that third point guard for you in a, in a, you know, kind of a spot that you need one. But the four-guard lineup, we've seen Taylor Jenkins. He utilized it last night. He said in the post game and today that that's something they're looking at. They're going to have to find a way to replace Jaron Jackson shooting. they were And they were 25th in the league last year in three points per game, 23rd in three-point percentage. They're going to have to find a way to do it without their best shooter. And if it's that forward guard lineup, I think that it makes sense. And with his size, he also can defend some bigger players. So I think he's going to get more minutes than people may think to start the season.
0: Yeah, you looked up one time last night, and he was guarding Hernan Gomez. Uh, yeah. So, it, I mean, ain't nobody pushing Desmond Bain around. That dude is built like a house. So, uh, kind of PJ Tucker-ish, maybe you've heard that comparison before. Let's let's keep going through the backcourt. How how about Melton? I thought uh, Melton looked exactly opposite of what he showed in the bubble. <laughs> he uh, scoring efficiently, just all over the place, making things happen uh, for his teammates and on the defensive end, hit some three pointers. So, Sam, how how'd you feel about Melton, who was basically the you know big free agent? Free, agent, free agency signing uh, of the
2: Summers. And, and you wonder if that, you know, getting that paycheck, getting finding a home. He said he just now moved all this stuff to Memphis, you know, kind of like finding his place uh, on this team. And he already really fits on our personnel standpoint, personality-wise as well. He looks like, he looks more in shape. Not that he ever looked out of shape. He's a skinny dude. It's not like he's ever going to, like, look fat or anything. But he just looks really in shape right now. And I think you could tell, like, it allowed him to play his frantic, um, you know Red Bull like energy drink game that he plays uh, and, and I, that was something I noticed he just looked fleet of foot like it's kind of the intangible eye test of how a guy looks uh, as much and so it allowed him to kind of tap into what he was doing before I don't know what was going on in the bubble I mean obviously these guys are human beings maybe there's some personal life going on maybe he just like hadn't had a chance to really work out a ton in that four-month offseason uh, it just it just didn't work out for him in the bubble but I mean I'm glad to have him on board and he was back to being Mr. Do-Something, as uh, as they've aptly named him on the Fox Sports South Broadcasting crew. Um, Sean, what do you think of uh, the, the Desmond Bain signing and then also his performance thus far?
1: Melton. you The other D. I'm happy with it uh, because, and the reason why I say that is because eventually I think, you know, he's on this contract. Tyus Jones is on this contract. Dylan Brooks is on this contract. The reason why they're all making around eight to 10 million a year, and they were signed for multiple years, the Grizzlies are really wanting to fill out their backcourt going forward with John Moran. Is that having a solid backup point guard to pair with him? Maybe. But is it also having a third combo guard, which you see with Dylan and um, uh, De'Anthony Melton? I think, de- but the other thing about those contracts, they're tradable. And so as this year goes on, you figure that out. I think that one of these guys becomes trade bait. I think it's long-term. It's probably going to be Dylan, but I liked what I saw from De'Anthony Melton. And the big thing about it is, is when they talked with Tyus Jones earlier this off season, he talked about that when it came to their shooting and just these guys who you clearly see that they add value, but you clearly see that there's other areas where they could take the next step. They feel better about taking that next step, especially scoring, now they're in now that they're in year two of Taylor Jenkins' system. And I thought that was there last night with Melton. The volume shooting, as well as the assertiveness when it comes to initiating offense, both for himself and others, I really thought that that was there. He's already going to be a great playmaker for you, a very underrated one on defense. But if he can become one- on offense consistently at 20 to 25 minutes tonight that's just another domino to fall in the right direction for the Grizzlies.
0: Oh, I love it, man. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Uh so, so let's see who, who else is in the backcourt. Oh, Jiddy, he he played some big minutes. Uh he was all over the place, making things happen. Turned it over a little more than we would have liked. Um but I think that kind of comes with the comes with who he is as he gets gets up and down the court um and turnovers are going to happen, especially, you know, only in his second year, not seeing a whole lot of NBA action. But, I mean, he's all over the place. How how are we feeling about Jiddy? Probably not a rotation player in the regular season. Uh, I mean, hopefully not, but a guy who can throw in there, the spark plug type guy when injuries hit. Uh, just all over the place, getting get the chase down block. Uh, he really gets out and runs the floor well. So, Sean, how are you feeling about our, our man Jiddy? Oh, I love Concher. Concher mm-hmm. is
1: a absolute wonderful personality. The thing about Concher is, is that he, there's the whole is of, of value more than, you know, some type of really just standout asset about his talent level. He doesn't have one thing he's just truly great at or that you feel he will be great at. He's just good across the board. But the intangibles, he's a great part for our culture. He has a wonderful personality. He's someone that gives effort every time he's on there. And like you said, he creates a lot of plays of value from his hustle and his consistent effort. The chase down blocks, being able to hit the open three, doing the playmaking. I think. That you're going to kind of get the good with the bad, and I also think that he's the type of player who you easily can see if he ever got 15 to 20 minutes a night, he may be a bit overexposed. But as the as an end of the bench option. They could probably play five to ten minutes, especially in games that, you know, maybe already decided, you know, earlier than, you know, the fourth quarter. I think that he's someone that can fill minutes and can, can grow into kind of that tenth or eleventh man for you with plenty of upside in that position. So I agree with you. He's so much fun to watch, but it's the value that he adds in the intangibles off the court and the culture and with the hustle and effort that you really makes you glad he's a part of the Grizzlies.
2: I think we're not talking about one guy that I know Mason wants to talk about, and that's – our guy Gorgie Dang out there looking like 2009 <laughs> Amari Stoudemire. Mason, uh, anyway, uh, you sent a text about Gorgie separately. You are like, how about Gorgie though? And like, hey, I, I sense a little excitement in that text. So
0: I don't know where that version was in the bubble. Cause he was not moving like he was last night. Uh, but great to see just his activity on defense. I think he had four blocks and just a force to be reckoned with, uh, what and what I like is he plays out on the perimeter offensively, and it opens up the lane for Jaw. You have to respect Gorgie's three point shot I, somewhat. Maybe teams will stop doing that, but it really opened up. Jaw took one baseline last night, and that was because Gorgie was up on the wing right next to him, and there was no one in the lane, and that's when Jaw had the dunk in the third quarter. Uh, but it was just nice to see him active and. I mean not killing the team honestly. I'm not expecting big names from Gorgie but uh maybe that increases his trade value.
2: <laughs> yeah and I mean to that point do we think he's on the roster come trade deadline this year or is he he's obviously an expiring our highest paid player as a matter of fact. Um, Sean do you foresee Gorgie on the roster before the trade deadline?
1: No, no, I don't. And I think, you know, it it kind of just comes to the point to where you get, yeah, you kind of, you're not expecting a first or anything like that. Could you get multiple seconds for him? Maybe. Could you get a second for him yourself, possibly? Do you just trade him away, though? No, probably not. I could see you possibly buying him out. I don't, I know the expiring contract, though, obviously would be beneficial. But at the end of the day for the Grizzlies, this is, you know, getting back to letting the young guys play. You want Tillman. Tillman struggled a bit last night. He, He didn't seem to have that same. Pizzazz and his, you know, per- performance that you saw with Bain and others. But with Tillman and Porter and Tilly, who I, it probably is the big man I'm the most excited about with his natural talent and his fit with Taylor Jenkins system. Yeah, I think that Gorgie probably is more than likely traded. And that's what you want. You want Tillman especially, but also for Porter and Tilly, one of those two to step up in support of Tillman to really be able to take Gorgie out of the lineup. And that's nothing against, dang, it's just the way that it's supposed to happen for a young roster. and But if he, in the early season, gets run and performs like he did yesterday, hey, maybe that ups his trade value. But I do think he's traded at the trade deadline.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's what we hope for, you know. That's best-case scenario, and it'd probably be best for him. Um, The one thing with Tillman is I really didn't notice how bad he played because early on, uh, Cat caught the ball out top. Tillman closed out cat faked, and he tried to drive by him, and Tillman slid with him and stayed right in front of him, and that was all I needed to see. After that, I, I didn't pay much attention to how bad he was. I know the plus minus wasn't friendly to him and uh, just kind of looked a little out of sorts with it being his first game, and of course, as I mentioned earlier, no NBA Summer League uh, training camp. It really just getting started. They had a couple days together and then tossed into the fire, so it is what it is, you know. No excuses, and everyone's dealing with the same time frame and uh, having to deal with the same thing with their rookies. Um, but I was excited to see that athleticism, and then he hit the uh, the big shot down the stretch, the, the turnaround jumper. You know, wasn't pretty, but uh, a winning player, hopefully, and at someone I'm excited to see grow, even if his first game wasn't, you know, what we hoped for.
1: Yeah, and I think also the thing about it when you look at him, you know, the big thing about him is, you know, like I mentioned the intangibles with John Concher, but it's really intelligence. You know, he's kind of a Kyle Anderson type player. He's for for who he is. The big strengths for him on offense is the facilitation as a big man. And then the team defense concept, being able to communicate, being able to help outthinking the opposition, kind of like you mentioned, you know, in the one on one situation with Carl um, Anthony Towns, he's not supposed to do that. But because of his instincts and his his intelligence, he was able to. And that's another big thing that really stood out to me was that, you know, we created 10 blocks and, and seven steals and got 24 points off 22 turnovers last night. And that's because, again, our depth offers really good potential defensively like Tillman and Brandon Clark. And then you get Jaron back, you know, that trio right there, that having two of those three on the courts for the majority of the game in time, that's really going to be exciting. So yeah, you would expect that from Tillman. He doesn't have a lot of the natural ability that the other players do on our roster to, you know, adjust to the athleticism and how fast the NBA goes, but I'm really excited to see it. And I do put good stock in him figuring it out because of how intelligent he is. I'm still really excited about what Tillman can do within Jenkins concepts.
2: I think the, the trend for our line with these guys that we drafted are is that, you know, they're going to achieve whatever ceiling their ceiling is. So, you know, whatever that means for Bain, whatever that means for Tillman, they are lower ceilings than sort of the shots you take uh, sometimes in the lottery for the high upside guys. But they will reach it. So that's kind of what we're betting on is it's a safer bet. And when you're when you're picking, you know, low in the first, high in the second, that's kind of what you want, um, because usually the real high upside guys are already taken earlier in the first uh, so I, I do agree with that. You mentioned Killian Hayes, another guy that's kind of like just really an injury upside. He, he's like a 6'10 guy from uh, Gonzaga from France originally, has an incredible shot apparently, but no one really knows because he hadn't played barely any, just injury riddled. Uh, what, what's going on with him now? Why, why isn't he playing? What was the injury? And then was- what would you project going forward for him? I think it was the
1: hamstring. I think that he has ha- hamstring-type issues, and that's that's what you're hoping. I don't necessarily – I can't remember what his injury history was. I do think there was a little bit of concern that he's injury-prone, but I think a lot of his injuries were from a few major ones that were just kind of freak accidents that occurred, you know, just one-time things, and they were fixed. Um, I, you just – you have to hope the talent wins out over the injuries, and, and that's the thing about it. The reason why I'm so excited about Tilly is because – if it's almost two-way contracts, they're developmental guys, they're big project guys that you hope maybe turns into a rotation player. It's not that case with Tilly. It's injuries with him because if he would not have been injured, in my opinion, he's likely a top 15, top 20 pick in this draft because of how well his game translates. Like he's one of the best shooting big man pedigrees to come out of college over the past 30 years. And you look at what Taylor Jenkins prefers for his system. You look at how he develops the shot of those type of players. Tilly is the perfect fit for his system. And that's why I'm so excited. I think that how deep he is on the depth chart may be a bit of a detriment to what he can do to start out. Of course, you know, if he can't stay on the court, that's another big thing. But we saw in the bubble that Anthony Tolliver got starts over Brandon Clark, Gorgie Dane, Josh Jackson and others, because he was the one that could, in some way, shape or form, show some type of shooting ability. And that's that's the reason why he started. And that's what I think gives Tilly kind of an upper hand. So I think it's going to be a bit of a slow start, but at some point when he gets fully healthy, he's going to get a spurt going, a really encouraging spurt, maybe towards February, March. And I think that we'll know who he is by the end of the first half of the season.
0: And that's exciting. Then uh, the, the other front court guy we have is John Porter, who similar situation, injuries, 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 but, all the talent in the world and just waiting to see what he can do. So uh, just really impressive what the defense was able to do without really most of our bigs. Um, the, the 10 blocks is just a product of activity and hustle and just, you know, will to play hard. Um, so that's one thing that we do have is a bunch of guys who are bought in. They're going to bring it every night and they're going to play hard The shots may not always fall, but this Grizzlies team is never going to be an easy out. <clears throat> um, Especially if Ja decides to score in the first half and not wait till the fourth quarter, which was another uh, thing we didn't hit on t- today, that was you know just ex- encouraging to see moving forward. Um, and he was still able to get his guys going, so he's just kind of finding that balance as a second-year point guard. I mean, it's just uncanny what what his potential is for this year. I uh, can't wait to watch him match up with Trey Young this week and just that head-to-head matchup. Uh, We kind of got a little rivalry brewing with the Hawks. I think is already better than Trey. I mean, Trey's an all-star, but his team's never, uh, you know, been even close to the playoffs. And Ja just carried a team in the West to the brink of the playoffs to play in game. Uh, So what are y'all looking forward to in these next matchups with the Wolves and then with the Hawks? Well, I think you
1: hit the nail on the head, Mason. I could not have put it better myself. You put you, you said activity, and that's what Taylor Jenkins loves. That's why we are so good on the fast break is because of how, how athletic and how fast and how effective a lot of our players are when it comes to movement. And last night for us to have the performance hit without a lot of our bigs, it was great. We already, you know, he put a lot of pride in the fact that the Grizzlies were top 10 defending the paint last year. But if we can utilize the same reasons why we're so good on the fast break with activity and movement and discipline movement on the perimeter that sets up opportunistic plays for us to then get on the fast break. So that activity on defense Leads to a strength of being on the run. I really am looking to see if we can consistently do that. It made the difference last night. We hit two fewer throws and eight fewer free throws. But we were able to overcome that with our defensive activity and how we capitalized off of it. I think that's an area where the Grizzlies have a lot of potential. And I'm really hoping that they continue to display that going through the preseason and the start of the season. So great point.
2: Yeah, I'm looking for, I mean, just speaking about this game in particular, we shot 11 of 40 from three, which is 27.5%. Not great at all. In fact, pretty bad. Still find, found a way to win the game. Uh, some of that, of course, is in the fourth quarter when the bench units are playing. But, um, you know, it, it was a still pretty encouraging to, to grind out a win in different ways, usually in the fast break, as Sean just alluded, despite shooting pads. So, like you mentioned, when the shots don't fall, maybe this team can, you know, figure out something else and how to win the game, which
0: goes to their their grit and and their willingness to play hard. Um, and, and you know what, Sam? Like, but while we shot bad, I didn't think we took a lot of bad shots. I thought, I thought important we, distinction. We were getting to the middle and kicking it out, and it was the shots you want. They just, you know, we're not a great shooting team. We know that. Um, but but I thought the culture and the offensive philosophy uh, wasn't just get down there and throw up the first three. You see Jay Crowder. It was a little more. We we are going to be quick, but it's deliberate. We're quick for a reason. We're trying to get to the middle kick uh Kyle you cut because we don't want you shooting from the wing and Jai's gonna hit you like w- we saw a lot of good action on offensively I thought yeah and, and one thing I'm gonna be looking forward going forward to in the
2: second the rest of the preseason really for the rest of the season is that that Kyle Anderson corner three to see if it's kind of it, it, it's consistent see if that goes down he's gonna get two of them a game he's gonna take at least two a game we'll see if they go down and we'll see if that's consistent the hitching his shot isn't there anymore that is a a noticeable aesthetic difference which is is kind of what he said was the prop that shoulder was really messing with them. um and then i also uh, am really going to be looking uh for the and i just had a brain fart what the other thing i was going to be thinking about but um well how did uh how did they shoot from three uh they shot better they shot uh 37 13 and 35 so actually pretty well i don't remember them getting a ton of open threes necessarily i i I feel like some of our weaknesses last year were defending the three-point line. Um, but, uh, yeah, one thing that I wanted to bring up was in the flow of the offense, there was a couple times where we were struggling to, to uh, get a ball to go down, uh, and we ended up feeding JV. Like, there was, like, two back-to-back possessions where we couldn't get a shot. And then on the third possession, we came down and fed JV, and he got us a bucket and kind of stopped the bleeding. And that was something that we said last year over and over like a broken record. When you have a guy like that that can get you a bucket in the paint, like, and you can't do anything else on offense because things aren't falling. Like, feed him the ball. Let let him make something happen. And I, I noticed us doing that kind of within the flow of the game, which was something that we didn't do last year. Now, that might just be a bunch of guys that were really young, just another year older playing together, probably what it is. But that was encouraging to see. Um, any other thoughts from this game? Or, or what, Mason, you like the Hawks matchup? You want to see Trey versus Ja? Hawks are a better team than the Grizzlies on paper, and they're healthy right now. So that could be, like, whereas I don't think the the – Timberwolves are. I think you can definitely argue with us injured. Maybe the stakes were a little bit uh, evened, but um, you know I think that the Hawks are for sure a better talent team. So it might be exciting to see us go up against that.
0: Well, hold on. Let's back up, and we we didn't really talk a lot about Anthony Edwards, but the number one pick coming off the bench um, in, in a team that has you know sucked for years, just to be brutally honest. Uh, not not great not not what you, not what you want you know imagine us picking Jaw and not starting him even in the preseason game um, I, I know maybe the fit's not there but and you got to think Edwards will be starting sooner rather than later but uninspiring performance from that Minnesota team I know they haven't played in you know eight nine months so maybe that is uh, some of that is due to the inactivity of their team. Uh, We know we all know what Cat has been through. I mean, a hellish offseason, definitely sending our thoughts and prayers for him and his family. Just can't even imagine uh, the pain and and sorrow that his family's been through. But despite all that, Minnesota, I mean, one of the worst teams in the West, I think. And I I think I penciled them in as a team that we should be better than even without Jaron and Justice. Uh, Sean, what's your thoughts on the Timberwolves kind of overall outlook? Well, you know, they, they have playoff aspirations, and, you know,
1: they re-up Malik Beasley. They brought in uh, Juan Her- or Juan Hernan Gomez. I can't even get his name right. But that's kind of going to be their other big player that they have, you know, in that in that front court. At the end of the day, I, I'm a huge Carl Anthony Towns fan. I know he's been through a lot. I also know that there's been questions about, you know, him really being not locked into the Minnesota, um, you know, situation, but, you know, just the effort that's needed on defense there to really make the difference. But he's the type of player that you want to build your team around. Um, but I don't think that they have those high floor, high quality support pieces. And I don't think that Russell is is consistent. I see a lot of inconsistency with the Mm -hmm. Timberwolves, and you just don't have enough top-end talent to really make it to where when you are, when they're on, you know, when they're on, basically, they're going to be able to be, you know, be with anybody in the league. I don't think that they are. But I think with Anthony Edwards, you bring up a good point. Everybody raves about his ceiling. But kind of like I was talking about with Bain and Brooks, You want that consistency even if he's not hitting his ceiling. He's going to be very inconsistent. It's going to take him a while to even show flashes of a difference making uh, or ceiling. And when he gets there, I still think he's going to be a lot of high, a lot of low. And so I don't think that that's standing out, that that's going to be a likely outlook for his career. You know, You don't consider that being likely for a number one pick with him. I think it's more than likely. So I agree with you. A struggle to start out with, but I think it's going to be a longer transition period for him than it is for most number one picks.
2: Yeah, Sam, any thoughts on Edwards? It was tough. Uh, I mean, and you wonder why he didn't start, really, because, I mean, we saw a, a Kogi start at small forward. It's not like it was some other guy that's given him consistent minutes. He's been as much of a flash-in-the-pan guy as any of their other wings. Malik Beasley, probably their most consistent wing, and he was already at the two-guard. Uh, so you, you just wonder why they couldn't find Anthony Edwards there in the starting lineup. And is it a, like, let's teach this rook a lesson thing because he thinks he's hot shit, or is it, like – or did he was in practice kind of out of sorts and kind of that personality problem that a lot of people worried he might be like lackadaisically running around, not really buying into the team system. I don't know, but that's just tough. Um, and I, I would not be excited if I'm a Timberwolves fan. Uh, but you know, maybe, maybe he comes around, they have talent. We'll see, but there's just really not anything you can get your hooks in with that team. Like there's no culture really. They don't have a guy like Ja or even Jaron necessarily. I mean, you, Kat and D'Angelo had been all-stars, but I still don't feel like – I wouldn't trade John or Jaren for either of those guys, I don't think. Maybe Kat, I guess. But.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't trade yeah. Jaren. I, I trade Clark. I, I would I would put Clark – if you could give me um, a deal around two firsts, um, Jonas and Clark, I would do that deal on a heartbeat with Kat, especially with him having four more years on his contract – um, I, that's probably a bit light. Um, but, but I do agree with you. I probably wouldn't trade jaw or Jaron to get, to get Car Anthony
2: towns. Yeah. Um, any other thoughts on the wolves, which we play again tomorrow night and second, uh, second game of double header. Um, any more thoughts on the wolves?
1: Well,
2: the, the thing that
1: I'll also say to the, about them real quickly is that when you look at them, they're kind of to the point that, you know, I talked about it yesterday on Twitter. You look at that next big guy who you could see as a trade target maybe in the next 12 to 18 months if he gets disgruntled. I think that Carl Anthony Towns has a better chance of being that guy than most people might say. But one of the reasons why is because the Wolves, I don't want to say they wasted their opportunity, but this has been their opportunity to really make the most of giving him reasons to stay. That was trading to Anthony But that was trading for um, D'Angelo Russell. And yeah, that's his best friend that may keep him there for a few years. But D'Angelo Russell isn't the second guy on on a true playoff or title contender. And now you get the number one pick and probably what's going to be the weakest draft in many years and many years to come. And you get Anthony Edwards, who probably was the right pick for your system. But again, it's his inconsistency. So they've hit like you would love to do. In their situation of trying to keep Carl Anthony Towns here, but the talent that it's generated, I don't think it's really that much difference making long term. So I think that they've made the right moves. It just has not been the talent that you would hope would be there. And so I think that, yes, they they probably don't have the outlook as many might
0: hope. And it, it, it's really just crazy how the timing affects everything. You know, yeah, when, yeah. when it was our turn, we got Jaron Jackson and John Moran and the exactly. Timberwolves got Cat, but never that other piece. And there was always the speculation about Devin Booker maybe uh, coming yeah. to join up in some form or fashion. But now that he's got Chris Paul, you can't imagine uh, he's going to be asking out time soon. But who knows? We've seen crazier things in this league stars get disgruntled all the time and ask for trades and what they want usually happens. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I would, I would definitely trade Brandon Clark and two first for cat <laughs> pair him next to Jaron and John. Oh shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that'd, that'd be a lot of fun. But, um, so we got the Hawks this week. I know they lost the first game to the, Magic won the second, and won the second, I think, but, uh, you know, Trey young two for nine and 22 minutes to, to start off the preseason. He couldn't be my point guard. Couldn't be my point guard. You know? Had him had
2: a better second. Had a better second game, but I, I just I, again like it. Just it feels like empty calories. You know, it's like eating donuts for breakfast. You can go get them and they're delicious, and it seems like you're doing something, yourself a favor, getting some sugar, filling your tummy. But it just doesn't. It doesn't end up in anything. You're still hungry by lunch, uh, and, and if you can't get my metaphor here, Trey Young puts up stats, don't win shit, and that's just kind of where <laughs> he finds himself. Like, and I, I. He got to the point where I think we're led to believe that he asked the front office in year two, like, or I guess is approaching year three, yo, I need like players now so I can win games. And you guys have got to put some people around me and like credit to him. I mean, I guess these guys are getting, they're all like prodigies basically in terms of how they run their career and they, ha- they shape their brand. But if he's already thinking about this, and the Hawks delivered, man, that they, they got the best people they could in this offseason and, and players that fit Trey Young too. So we'll see what happens. But I, I don't know. I know first game, the leading score was DeAndre Hunter, who I'm really low on. Um, the second game, Trey had a little bit better of a game, but still like I, I think it'll be exciting to see the matchup. Um, Trey's obviously not a good defender. So you wonder, they're probably going to slide over their wing on jaw and probably have Trey guard Dylan or DeAnthony or whoever we start, maybe probably Grayson. Um, and, and we'll look for that, but I don't know what, what, uh, what is your outlook for the, the Hawks this year? I know I'm pretty low on them. Um, if, if you tweet anything, the Hawks fans hear a pin drop and then come out of the woodwork and defend their honor. But that's just that's where we stand now. What do you all feel about the Hawks?
1: I personally think they're a playoff team because they 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 have depth, but there is a lot of positive potential, you know, with that depth. Like, for instance, I feel that long term, I feel that Okongwu is a better bet than James Wiseman. I think Wiseman has a higher ceiling especially in Golden State. But I think Okongwu has a better chance with his defensive ability, especially in high leverage situation, playoff situations of reaching that. So I think just when you look at all the names that are there, and when you look at the rest of the East, the other teams that kind of have playoff aspirations, it's kind of like due to an embarrassment of depth, at least, I think that the Hawks should make it. But I agree. I think that this is a big, big thing for Trey Young. With Bogdanovich and Gallinari next to him. That's a trio of shooters. It's a nightmare for any defense. And then you've got Dunn and you've got Rondo who are brought into the equation to kind of help to, you know, minimize the defensive inefficiencies that he has. You know, they played really to the net value of Trey. So he may take a bit of a step back in terms of his quantity, but is there a big step up in terms of his quality? And if there is, that's a big sign for Trey Young. And then they become, you know, long-term, a big playoff contender in the East. But if there's not, isn't always going to be a quantity play with Trey Young, where there's really not a difference made in his defense negates from his offense. So I think that yes, it is a playoff year for the Hawks, but I think an even bigger thing is can Trey Young truly be a difference-making top one or top two talent on a potential East contending team? You know, you don't typically see point guards like that. You typically see them being the number one supporting cast member for the main star. But I think this is a big this is a big year for Trey young in terms of that net value. Can he add quality to his, you know, obvious overall quantity that he offers?
0: Yeah. And, and even though I hate on Trey, I am right there with you. I think they're a playoff team in the East, probably back end of the playoff team. I don't expect them to advance past the first round, but I caught about six minutes and I enjoyed the energy they were playing with. They get up and down, uh capella's flying around the rim collins is looking to fly around the rim but can also spot up and shoot um they got depth like sean was saying they got good players across the board so it will be two fun preseason games like at least you know when there there's they're more talent there's more talent on that team than on the timberwolves um and just the it's this they're going to be fun to watch bogey. I mean, they just bring a whole different dynamic than kind of what we're used to with the Timberwolves, uh, the Trey young, how they're going to hide him. If it is on Grayson, that's just things that we can work on that will help us in the season. If Jaw has a bigger defender on him, which, you know, Grizzlies fans are familiar with from the Mike Conley days, uh, putting someone like Kawhi or just a longer uh, wing defender to kind of slow the smaller point guard down. So See see how we look with that, because that is going to happen throughout the season. Um, But the Hawks, I mean, overall, I'm not super excited about them. I think they they make the playoffs, but first round exit. And uh, I mean, I kind of think that's what they are for the next few years with the moves that they've made, um, which is why I wouldn't have made the moves that they did.
1: Well, and I'll say this about their contracts is that, you know, and their GM already kind of hinted at it as well. It's kind of like the Grizzlies are doing with their backcourt situation with Melton and Tyus and Dylan. You know, sign them all to 10 a year, year, give them multiple years. Let the one that's going to be a true long-term piece step forward. The other two become trade assets for money-matching purposes to get a better quality player. Well, with Gallinari, Bogey, and others – you potentially see if you could use them as a trade asset, even if you have success this year. Because with trade, you've got the personality there to really bring in a star. Because Atlanta can support a big time star, it's probably going to have to be a, be a, have to be a trade. But for me, when it comes to the Hawks long term, regardless of what happens, they've got to build around Collins and they've got to do everything that they can do to, to develop Cam Reddish. He has true mm-hmm. making potential. It may or may not happen, but it could, especially if Atlanta has success this year. Um, so I think that that's another element to it. The Hawks have set themselves up to make the playoffs this year. But with the right creativity, with the type of effectiveness like our front office has had there in Atlanta, they could turn this into a really good long term situation.
2: Yeah, we, we, and, and Trey hasn't been able to do it yet on any team, including his college team. He really has always been the stats guy that doesn't translate into wins. Um, so But this year is the year where you determine whether or not he can do something else You know, because he really does have the right personnel around. So it's kind of like a test beta year to see what he can be. Uh, Cam Rash, I agree, he had a great end of last season. Really came of his own after a, just a horrid shooting beginning of the season. Uh, I like him too. I, I, I like him more than Hunter, I think, although Hunter's a safer pick. Um, but obviously, still like probably not worth not getting Luca. But you know, here, here we are. <laughs> uh, I feel like that's like the the constant cliff note true. on every Hawks discussion. But um, but then there's a the question of whether Luca would be good in Atlanta, and there's like you know all that sort of shit. I get for sure. Um, but. Uh, I, I just – I don't know. I can't really get excited about them. We'll see what happens. Um, depth is important, though. This, this, Sean brought this up and made me think about uh, one of Simmons' pods they were talking about – or maybe it was Hollinger. He was talking about how the variable the season is COVID, a, a variable unlike any season ever, uh, and how – what does that mean, right? Like what what can we hypothesize based on this variable we don't understand? And they were talking about how it might help teams that aren't as good – um, versus teams that rely on, like, a, like a, a Lakers, for example, where they got, like, if, if AD and LeBron go down with COVID, I mean, that's just any other team, right? Lakers on a Tuesday night without LeBron and Anthony Davis isn't striking fear in anybody, even though they did get better, um, it, whereas, like, a team that's not maybe as talented top-heavy but just kind of has, like, guys – uh, like um, Orlando Magic, for example, or I mean, I would even argue us, or the Hawks certainly, um, a team with depth really is is at an advantage in the COVID era because if you have a couple guys go down, if you just have depth, if you just have guys that don't suck, that really matters. And so that's going to be a thing. We're going to see these games get heavily affected by COVID. I mean, it, we've already seen guys not show up to training camp for reasons and, of course, for HIPAA reasons that coaches can't just totally air them out. But, um, you know, it, it, that's going to be an interesting component of – depth this season that'll matter more than more than any other season Um, because it's not just injuries that take guys out now it's this virus where you could be fine but you know you could be asymptomatic even but you're going to find out whether you have it because they're getting tested frequently
1: well and the Grizzlies you know pointed that out with with their two ways you know that I think you know I don't know if it's been stated but that's what stands out to me about McDermott and Tilly is that if you have COVID strike the team you then have true you know, two true guys who play in the front quarter. I mean, when you look at the Grizzlies roster, really the only two players that stand out as small forwards are Kyle Anderson and Sean McDermott in terms of their natural position more than likely. So if we get guys that go down, I think that Taylor Jenkins made it to a point to where well, at least we have a backup two-way player who can come in and still shoot the ball both from the power forward or center position and then from the small forward position. So I think that you've seen a bit more strategic activity with these two-way contracts and with some players who have been signed to multi-year deals, but they they gave up average annual value more for long-term security, and the teams were up for it to get that depth in place to fill out their benches. So I think you bring up a great point. Depth in the year of COVID could truly be an advantage for teams that may not have as naturally high a talent as of yet, but overall have players that can come in and fill rotation spots because they're in a good system for their skill sets.
0: Yeah, definitely a great point. And, uh, you know, can't have too many players that don't suck. So uh, uh, especially <laughs> you, at this the day. old Chris Martin adage, you know, just <laughs> right. like
2: have guys on your roster that don't suck because that matters, uh, you know, just in general, like in practice. I mean, you know, like these guys play against each other. That's that's generally how they're getting better. So I there's definitely some credibility to that. And it sounds self-evident, but like, you know, it makes sense.
0: Uh, what about around the league? I'm trying to think of anyone who we've seen uh, other than the Grizzlies who have been impressive. I know Taylor Horton Tucker looks to kind of be the star of the preseason so far. He had 33 points tonight, had I think like 19 and nine against the Clippers the other night. The Lakers uh, beat the Clippers two times in a row without LeBron and AD. We got our first look at Marcus Saul in a number 14 jersey. Um, As I know some people in Memphis don't like the fact that he's playing for the Lakers, but I couldn't be more excited for him playing on the team with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, the Lake show um, just the biggest stage in the NBA for the regular season. I'm excited to see Mark and just the glimpses we've seen so far. I think he's going to make some of those guys like KCP uh, Taylor Horton Tucker. If he's on the court uh, Kuzma, I think he's going to make those guys a lot better with his passing ability and uh, obviously covering up for defensive mistakes. But I, I'm really excited to watch that Lakers team play um, at full strength when the season gets going, even though it may be, you know, every couple of games that we see LeBron in, AD, maybe not. But that's one one team that stuck out to me and uh, Taylor Horton Tucker just – uh, looking like a whole new player we saw him briefly in the what was it the rocket series when they just like tossed him out there we we're like hey we got a little gym. we want to, we want y'all to see that we this guy can play and he's part of our future and then uh, in the preseason it's kind of been his show him and coos without lebron and ad and um, they look to be you know willing uh, solid rotation players but we'll see it's preseason obviously I saw the
2: the Blazers play. I mean, they they look good. They they played their they trotted out their lineup of Dame CJ and um and Roko at the four, and then they had uh who they had playing at the five? Oh, uh, uh Enis Kanter. Um, and they had a Derrick Jones Jr. at the three. Derrick Jones Jr. I saw like made some great open threes, uh, kickouts, and just being active around the rim. They look good, man. Like that's kind of the great personnel around Dame and CJ. And I know everyone's been in S and their DS about their off season, but like. They look good and I mean maybe they kind of return to that top of the west prominence and, and make deep playoff runs when you got a guy like Dame who can shoot from anywhere. Um, so they look good that I saw I watched uh, on the other hand watched the Knicks twice. I don't know why because I like hurting myself. <laughs> and uh, I uh, dude uh Obi Toppin's kind of fun, but like he he runs so goofy. He runs like a like a matrix character. Like when he runs like this with his arms like giant wedges, but uh, anyway, he, he R.J. Barrett, like you want him to have a breakout season, number three pick. Like, I really like the kid. You know, me and Mason were high on him. <laughs> we, yeah, we were like caught Maple Mamba and shit, and we were like fully don't, in on Don't him. bring that up. Don't bring that up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, it, and really it's like product of a bad system, just a bad team to get on. Like, you know, you really can't blame the kid yet because it seems like he he is a good kid. Um the first game I saw him play, though, he ended up having a pretty good second half of the game. But uh, on one play, he was on the wing. He shot a three. It bricked off the side of the rim. Um, one of his guys, I think Mitch Robinson, rebounded it, kicked it right back out to him. He shot the ball even more confident this time and airballed it. And I was like, that sucks. Like, that That to me is a player that, like, is really struggling on, you know, confidence or just like his abilities or whatever. It just was kind of a microcosm. I know it's preseason. I know it's the first quarter, but it was like the most Knicks. It's just like cut that out and put it on the Knicks header and like just let me look at it all the time because it was it was funny to me, but obviously if you're a Knicks fan watching that, not what you want to see from your number three pick, potentially the, you know, second or first or third best player on your team. Um, Sean, did you see anyone around the league, any games you want to catch on League Pass talk about?
1: Well, and and I'll say this, I won't mention all the names, but kind of general groupings of players. One hopeful bright spot of this season, despite the – you know, you don't know what to predict about COVID is all the stars that are going to be back. And from that, you're going to have a few other teams that are going to be contenders. You got Steph and the Warriors. I know that they're without clay, but then you've got Kyrie. You've got, um, you know, um, Durant. I'll tell you this. Another name that I'm really, really excited to see is Nurkic. We saw just how much of a difference maker he was in the two games with the Blazers versus the Grizzlies. I think he's a big, big get for the Blazers that really make them possibly a top half of the Western conference playoff picture type team john wall he's good looking good back in his run as well so you've got those stars back and those different make, those difference makers back but in that same nicks gate um sekudon boy i can't, can't never pronounce his last name he had a really efficient game so you've got these different levels of groups of players coming back the stars coming back you've got in a weak rookie class over the past two or three years, some guys who have been injured, like Marvin Bagley, Seku. you hope that R.J. takes off. That group of players, those young post-type players, you've seen some encouraging uh, factors from them. But, yeah, I think that those are the type of players that I'm really excited to see, and if we can get multiple versions of that coming back, it really adds to the depth of the NBA and the excitement that you see. But R.J. Barrett was going to be a name that I mentioned. His type of game tonight, if he could put that together consistently, he's going to show just how true of a talent he is
2: um real quick before we go the the uh, over under odds are out in Vegas and pulling from Vegas insider the grizzlies are at 30 and a half wins on the season currently sitting at 11th in the conference so just narrowly missing the play in game which is to me worst case scenario of the season is you know not having the worst lottery odds and at least not a chance to to shoot our way into the playoffs um Tenth is Houston Rockets at 34 and a half. Pelicans are ninth at 36 and a half. Below us are the Spurs at 29 and a half. So a game below us at 12. Sean, what do you think of that over-under? Are you picking over or under?
1: Uh, I'm gonna pick over, slightly over. I'm gonna i will put us, I, let's see, it's 72 games. I, I'll put us at 32 and 40, I think. You know, I that it's kind of been mentioned. I think that in this case, the Grizzlies, I don't know if they're gonna have as much external. Things happen in their favor because you do have a lot of teams that are back. You know, even with the Rockets kind of breaking it down, Wall and Harden probably give you a more consistent ceiling, for instance, and the Warriors and the Suns and all that. So I feel they finished 11th or 10th, but I agree with you. See, in my opinion, we're kind of in a position this year where there's really no bad outcome because of how good last year was. I really would love for us if the play, if we're not just clearly in the playoffs, I think that that actually works out to our benefit. I really want a guaranteed lottery pick in 2021. So we need to make the playoffs. I know the players want to make it. I would love to see that. But I also think that in terms of our long-term future, we actually benefit if we don't. So I think we're kind of in the season. 31 and 32 and 40 will be my prediction. But the great thing about it is, is that no matter what, we benefit from the outcome. That's what makes me excited.
2: Yeah, I, I got I got us at thirty four and thirty eight as I said on a couple of pods ago. So I picked the over as well. The the line used to be at thirty two and it shifted mm-hmm. down to thirty uh, in the past week. I think. Um, of course, you have to assume health when you talk about these things, which might be kind of a fool's errand when it comes to the Grizzlies, but. I mean, I'm of the opinion that, and and I and I propose this, and I'm probably not the first person to say this, but I've I don't know if I've coined this either, but I feel like we're in a soft tank situation, and that's where a front office essentially yep. sets up a team to lose, but not like so aggressively where the, the team feels it, uh, and I see that in the the Jaron uh, kind of like rehab from his injury. He could play. he could play, right. And I mean, obviously it's safer to fully rehab and all of that. It's meniscus injury. Um, I don't know what the difference in, you know, three more weeks does. It's obviously better to rest than not. Uh, and then J- the justice injury is also very nebulous and it's classic Grizzlies PR Twitter, where we don't know what's really going on there. And then he's rehabbing from this hip injury that was really ambiguous and uh, all, all this too. So we see, you know, starting the season without two starters, kind of maybe setting us up to bank more losses than we thought we would have if we'd been healthy. Uh, and so, you know, maybe we'll see a little bit more being really careful with our guys this year, like resting jaw, you know, not playing as many minutes that kind of steer us into losses uh, in a shortened season, no fans, you know, not no real economic disparity. You've got, uh, all the season tickets in, in the Grizzly stadium are going to be paid for. So the, all the fans that are there have already paid. So it, it's really, you're not losing any money. If you are going to lose a lot of games, this is the season to do it, not only for the draft and the fact that there's a just an insane amount of wings in this draft and that's the position we need. Uh, so I, I, I wouldn't hate it if we just kind of like go off the cliff, but in like a way that doesn't discourage the guys, you know, kind of in a way where it just happens to happen um, and not in a like, not in a a tanking like a, uh, like the old Sixers of old, so to speak. Um, Mason, what, what, uh, what do you predict over under? And then kind of general thoughts on the season as it goes on.
0: Uh, I'm going to take the under about 27 wins that buffet of wings in the 2021 draft lottery, pepper, barbecue chicken. It's it's too tempting, man. So I'm going to try to speak this into existence. Um, But I expect us to be a competitive team all season. Uh, you, you know, Lord willing, stay, staying healthy, especially with Jha. Um, If Jaw goes down, obviously all this is out the window anyway. But, uh, I mean, I, ex- I expect us to be in a lot of games. And I think last year we we, we played our best ball at the right time when the schedule uh, and everything just synced up just perfectly. And I'm not so sure that we get that luck this year. Um, and I, I just kind of feel it being a tough year, especially if we're going to be playing more teams in the West. Um, we don't know what the second half of the schedule looks like just yet, but I, I just think that it's going to be some growing pains. We're going to have some games that we could have won that we, we don't, and fan, fans are going to be frustrated, but then we're going to realize the, this is John Morant in his second year. Uh, we're lucky to be where we are, and he's progressing into a superstar. Maybe he's even on the all star team. I think that would be. Um, a great thing for, for the team, for the city, and just the goal to accomplish uh, it for this team this year is if Ja's an all-star, then, uh, you know, obviously that would be great, but not expecting this team to uh, rack up a whole bunch of wins. I think we got a tough schedule and just like I said, I, I don't think the luck is going to be on our side this year. I can see I a, for a situation chance.
2: where we've got Go like a, yeah, where we got like a, the beginning of the bubble, last this past summer where we had we're right in a couple of those games that Spurs game that Blazers game mm-hmm. um, you know voraciously competitive uh nearly as good but we just didn't have the juice at the end of games to finish them out and if that's happening and we're losing that way I, you know I love that I'd obviously prefer to win but that's like that's kind of where you want to be maybe Ja takes a leap makes the all-star team that's another like miniature goal within a season for sure uh but I I live with that any day just being competitive having a reason to watch and watching Ja, um you know continue to improve his game sorry Sean what were you saying And forgive me,
1: I was going to say, I really think that you're going to find um, that within the first five weeks, I think even before February, you're going to know, have a very good idea whether this Grizzlies team is going to make the playoff or not. The best, the the most manageable part of their schedule is before the MLK game, which is 13 games. I mean, you're not going to have John Jaron, but that's probably the weakest part of the schedule. If you have a winning record with that, and then you get John Jaron back before that MLK game, before you enter a two-week stretch where you play the Spurs, the Kings, and the Timberwolves plus the Suns. I mean you played, you know, the Kings, Timberwolves or the Kings, Spurs, and uh, Trailblazers could be twice. Seven of your eight games are against other playoff hopefuls in the West. Two game swings in each of those games. I think how the Grizzlies manage that, if they come out of that with a losing record, Probably not too confident, especially if Jaron and Justice are out longer than you anticipate. But if they can manage, and they've got a winning record, they've got Justice and Jaron in the fold. I think that's encouraging. So I think within the first five weeks, you're really going to kind of get
2: a very good idea of what the Grizzlies true playoff chances are. Agreed. Shaw, before we let you go, do you want to plug anything you're writing, plug anything you're podcasting on or anything like that?
1: Oh, thank you, guys, and and, and uh, over at Locked On Grizzlies, uh, we're going to um, you know, have uh, plenty of uh, player previews. Going to have some folks on, you know, from around the Memphis market uh, looking for season previews. I'll certainly be reaching out to you guys as well because I, you know, it'll be good to catch up with y'all. We need to we need to do this more often. Y'all are great, and I and I highly appreciate uh, the the opportunity. But Mason, I'll say this: we were talking about the wing creators. I'm kind of in a dilemma. Because Tennessee, I'm a big Tennessee Vols fan, don't hate me, but I'm a big Tennessee Vols fan, we've got potentially the first time ever where we could have two lottery talents in Keon Johnson and Jaden Springer. But the problem is, is that I feel that the best long-term fit in terms of where the Grizzlies may pick is a Kentucky guy in B.J. Boston. So I'm going to kind of be fighting myself on that. I hope we have a chance at both Johnson and Boston, and I would pick Boston over Johnson in terms of our fit and natural ability. That's going to kind of be an internal dilemma all year. So plenty to watch, but I'm excited. But, uh, but yeah, just tune into the Locked on Grizzlies as well as the backdoor cut just to get all your Grizzlies coverage. It, 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 there's there's never been a better time to create content for Memphis and, and you guys, and, and I'm lucky enough to be a part of it, but you guys are great. And I can't thank you enough for, for this opportunity.
2: Well, we appreciate having you on, man. Check out Locked On, Grizz. Check out everything Sean's writing. Mason, it's good to see you. We're gone. Peace.